Um, the passage today is from chapter 22, Revelations 22, verse 6, all the way to the end to verse 21. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who, does, who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexual immoral, the murderers, the adulterers, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes word away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Hi everyone um, online again and to the people that braved the weather to be in person as well. Uh, we've made it to the very end. And I think that's quite an achievement because it's a book that scares most people by you know, a third or halfway through. But we've persevered and I hope that uh, we found it's actually a book that's on one hand it is dark and ominous and heavy with the reality of what's to come, especially for followers of Jesus. But on the other hand, uh, I hope it's been reassuring and filled with hope and with the call to endure through tribulations uh, for the sake of what's to come after what's to come. It's been a big job to preach through it. It's a pretty tough book, but it's actually been a bigger job for us to, be, to listen through it and to be rebuked by it and to be encouraged by it. Uh, it's a big job because we tend to have deaf ears when it comes to hearing things like this and thinking about things that can be far off or unrealistic, um, that we don't want to listen and keep the words that we hear. 
Uh, and I think John knows it. And that's why the book ends this way that it does. It's one final reminder and one final call. <clears throat> so let me pray uh, for God's help that uh, as we read Revelation's final words, we'll actually listen and keep them. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing to us um, the what's to come uh, in Revelation. We thank you that you give us these words to warn us and to rebuke us and to call us. Please give us ears that will hear what's being said and hearts that are willing to turn and respond rightly. Um, we pray that uh, these words, once we finish speaking them, they won't just leave our minds and our hearts, but they'll stay with us um, for all of our lives to help us endure until that last day. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so John begins by telling us, the angel, the one that um, has been showing us all of heaven, uh, says that these words are trustworthy and true. He claims that they come from God and that he's given these words to prophets to speak to us. So basically, if you believe in any of those Old Testament books or the New Testament books, uh, which are inspired by prophets that are speaking God's words, he says, then also you should believe in this book, all of it. The beasts, the trumpets, the cities, all of it. Now, if there were no skin in the game, that would be easy. Sure, I believe it. Right? But what you're being asked to do is to stake your life on these claims. If you've ever made like one big decision in your life, one massive choice, you maybe get uh, a taste of what Revelation is asking you to do. I'm thinking bigger than what uni course should I do or bigger than should I leave my job and do a different job, take a different career path. Maybe buying a house is getting close, you get a taste of it, all that money, a 30-year mortgage, locked in, maybe that's a taste of what Revelation's asking you to do. Um, I guess marrying someone is also a taste of it as well, to death do you part, one person for the rest of your life locked in, that's kind of a taste of what Revelation's asking you to do. Uh, but Revelation's actually asking you to make a bigger choice than all of those choices. What's being asked of you here is kind of an existential decision in a literal sense. Revelation is saying, put your life and your eternity, your very existence on the line based on the truthfulness of what you've heard. It's making a truth claim. So under all the monsters and angels that we've been seeing and trumpets and cities, there's a simple truth claim. Verse 7, Jesus is coming soon. He's coming from the throne of God at the centre of heaven where he's reigning now towards earth that he's going to judge when he arrives. All the parts, if you, if you kind of think back on Revelation, all the parts might feel a bit disconnected. In some ways, so remember back to chapter one, you get a picture of the glorious Jesus reigning. Uh, his head was like white snow. His eyes were like fire. His feet were like bronze, if you remember that. Then chapters two and three, we get letters to the churches that were warnings and rebukes and encouragements to endure and be victorious in this life. And then chapters four and five, we jump suddenly into the um, into a view of heaven where we see God's throne room and we see that. God's more glorious than John can even describe. Words are kind of stretched and aren't enough to describe him. 
Um, but Jesus, who's both the lion and the lamb, is worthy to sit on the throne with God. And then from there we see the unfolding of all things, first the seals and then the trumpets and then the bowls. And then at the end of it all, we have two cities. One city is thrown into the lake of fire, that's Babylon, uh, the city of people that loved everything but God. And then there's the other city, Jerusalem, uh, the city who loves God. Uh, and she was made into a beautiful bride and she'll dwell with the God and the Lamb forever. So all of that, we find out, seems a little bit disconnected, but in this last section, what it's all building up to, what it's all saying is this one message, Jesus is coming soon. But so what is the obvious question. If Jesus is coming soon, what do I care? If you've missed the reason that the rest of the book has given you, listen here to John. He tells us one more time. So John continues, If Jesus is coming soon, then of course, blessed are the ones who keep the words of this prophecy. The idea of keeping has come up a few times in Revelation. Uh, it's got the idea of enduring or maybe obeying that kind of thing, like long endurance. But I think uh, John's example in the next couple of verses is helpful. So verse 8, it says, John himself is the one who hears and sees the words of this prophecy. Uh, so how does he keep it? He falls down at the feet of an angel and worships the angel. We've seen angels throughout Revelation that are all shapes and sizes, that they were all powerful, they were all bright, they were all awe-inspiring. Uh, so you might kind of understand that John would fall down and worship this angel that's giving him this amazing message. But if you've read through Revelation, you probably know that this isn't the right response. This is not what we're meant to do. And the angel replies, don't do that because he is just a fellow servant. As amazing as angels are, in comparison to God, they're on the same level as us. We're simply both servants of God. So what does it mean then to keep the words of this prophecy? It at least means not worshipping angels, not worshipping things that might be glorious in their own right, but are not God. So what is what is keeping the words of this prophecy? The angel answers, worshipping God. That's it. Keeping the words of this prophecy is worshipping God. In the imagery of Revelation, it would be not taking the mark of the beast, but resisting it. It would be enduring through the tribulation. It would be coming out of the city of Babylon. So worship in Revelation is really broad and really all-encompassing. It's not one particular action like bowing down, although it includes that. It's more of an attitude or a trajectory that your life is on. So look at verses 10 and 11. The words of this prophecy are unsealed. They're open to anyone willing to hear. But the ones who do wrong and the ones who are vile are simply going to continue in their ways, doing wrong and being vile. But the ones who do right and the ones who are holy will continue in their ways. The ones who will worship him will worship him. The ones who won't, won't. 
Revelation, as we've seen over and over again, separates the world into two sides. There's Babylon and there's Jerusalem. There's the one who takes the mark of the beast and the one to take the mark of the lamb. So it's a book that naturally just separates and divides. It's not that you do one wrong thing and then suddenly you're on the side of evil, but the one who does evil in all parts of his life is going to respond to these words accordingly. The one who is generally righteous in all parts of his life will respond to these words accordingly. So these words that John's speaking kind of separate you further and further into two groups. The pattern of your life in response to these words makes it clear which side you're on. So Jesus is coming soon and blessed is the one who worships him. Blessed is the one who keeps his words and only the one who keeps his words. In verse 12, Jesus repeats, look, I'm coming soon. Christ's movement from the throne at the centre of heaven towards earth in judgment is fixed and unchanging. It's like a beating drum. He's coming soon, he's coming soon, he's coming soon. But, if this part tells us, he's coming with rewards. And I think we're meant to think about all the promises scattered through the Bible, uh, sorry, through the book of Revelation, especially in the letters at the start. To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to eat the tr- from the tree of life. To the one who's victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. To the one who's victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over all nations. The first time he said he was coming in this passage, it was kind of a warning to be prepared, to be worshipping God. Now it's a message of hope. He's coming soon with rewards for the faithful. Blessed are those who wash their robes. The ones who wash their robes are simply God's people the same as the ones who washed their robes in chapter 7 and were part of the great multitude, or the 144,000. These people are blessed because they can come into the city because there are many people, murderers, liars, adulterers, who will be left outside of the city, not strictly because they did those things, but because they did not wash their robes. So we're rewarded when Jesus comes, if we wash our robes. I think it's unusual to think about being rewarded at all. Um, If you, well, I, I think the view of Christianity that we have, maybe that you have as well, maybe that the world has, is that it's just a hard slog. We worship God who tells us that we can't do anything fun, But he says, don't worry, it's all worth it if we make it to heaven and have eternal life. So for now, we live a boring life to live a longer, boring life forever. But at least you won't be burning in hell. That's kind of the the general gist, I think, of what we can often think of um, God's promises alike. But it doesn't seem like the Bible speaks about, um, about it in that way at all. Putting aside that I think that God's um, way of life uh, now in this life is probably the best way you can live anyway, 
uh, even if this life is all we had, I think God's way of living is the best way. Putting that aside, God over and over again promises us like unimaginably good things, reward on top of reward. You have eternal life, and on top of that, you have all the rewards for persevering. You receive crowns. You can drink from rivers of living water. You have a new name. You have authority over nations. There's a city of gold. I don't even know what half of it means. But the list is massive and it's unexpected. And the imagery is excessive because God's generosity is excessive. Even though we continually forget it. It's not live a boring life here to live an even longer boring life later. It's the opposite. God's waiting to reward us with life and much more with his own presence. So we miss out on nothing when we follow God. That's what Revelation is saying to us. We gain everything if we follow God. And verse 16, Jesus testifies to the truth of this. He sent an angel that brings this message. Jesus is coming. Jesus is moving from his throne in heaven to earth in judgment. He's coming soon. And so in verse 17, the spirit and the bride, so that's God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, and God's people tell us to come to, to make our own movement from Babylon to Jerusalem, from a faltering faith or a wavering faith to an enduring faith. And if we hear and if we come, then we're meant to say to others as well, come. The book of Revelation as a whole is pretty void of evangelism. You might have noticed it. There's, there's very few cases of evangelism and generally it doesn't seem to work out that well. The main picture we get of the last days is that people are locked in. Even in the earlier verses, the vile will continue to be vile. The holy will continue to be holy. There's almost no space for evangelism because it's kind of got a, a fatalistic feeling. But this call to come by the spirit and the bride turns the whole book on its head. It's not fatalistic at all. It's a call to make a choice on the most important decision of your life. All those images of people locked in their ways wasn't to say that you're locked in, don't worry about it, you can't do anything about it, but to push you, to force you to choose. There's two sides. Which side do you want to be on? Your response to the call to come tells you which side you're on. Come out of Babylon and come into Jerusalem. Move towards Jesus as he's moving towards the earth. We live in a world where there's increasingly no right or wrong. Increasingly, my truth is just my truth. But John says that these words are trustworthy and true, objectively. It's a truth claim that at the end of time, there's a right side and the wrong side. And those are pretty strong words in our time. 
For this to be true, for what John says to be true, for what Jesus says to be true, many, many other claims must be false. It's not my words, it's not John's words, it's not the angel's words, but it's Christ's words. If the prophecy of this book is true, then to say there is no God is false. If the prophecy of this book is true, then to say Jesus is not king is flat out false. If the prophecy of this book is true, then to say the importance of these things, that Jesus is coming, is not important, there is no importance to them, is false. So as we read through Revelation, we're being confronted with the truth, with a truth claim, and we're being forced to make a decision, even though we might not have known it the whole time. And this is the climax of that decision. Jesus is coming soon. And you must choose if you're going to come as well. If you're thirsty and if you want water that gives you life, the invitation from the spirit and the bride is to come. Verse 18, you've heard the words of this scroll now, this whole scroll, we've gone through it all. We've gone through it in pretty good detail. And now we're warned not to treat them lightly. It's not something that we can add to or take away from without consequence. It's Jesus' words that he is coming soon. He's moving from heaven to earth and the spirit and the bride tell us to come as well, to move from Babylon to Jerusalem. And one day Christ and his people will meet. Until then, endure, come, and say, come, Lord Jesus. Okay, now it is time for Q&A. And I think we've got a couple of questions on the Padlet. But before we jump to that, is anyone on, uh, any question on Zoom, uh, Nelly? No? How about here, anyone? Have any questions so far about the sermon? If you do, put your hands up and we'll let you ask your questions. Yeah. Tribes of people on earth get to know God, and uh, that's that's when uh, we we should uh, explicitly, uh, you know understand the part of the last book of the Bible and hopefully it would, you know, infuse and, you know, we be edified. I hope you know that means built up in, in what, what will happen. But, uh, it's, uh, but the, the mainly important thing I want to highlight is uh, in um, Revelation 3 also, is that particular part when Jesus says, I knock at the door of your heart. If you hear me, I will come in and sup with you and you with me. Now, that is also very important because that's when I, I, I wrote a book called, I don't want to take up too long, but that, that word speaks for itself. Ask the Holy Spirit what it means. You know, Jesus is coming to, to, to seek you. And um, there is a, a vagueness when I was at Bible college that uh, um, 
the, 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 the lady and uh, the Catholics refer to the lady somewhere in second or third or fourth or fifth chapter that uh, they referred that to, uh, well, the Catholics referred to that as Virgin Mary or the mother of Jesus, but the, uh, the Protestants believe it's the state of Israel. Now, I don't want to take up too much of your time, Pastor, but uh, if you'd like to explain more, I, I don't know, but uh, particularly uh, in Revelation 3 about knocking the door of your heart, if you hear my voice, I'll come in and sup with you and you with me. And that's something you, you have to clarify. Yeah, um, so just for the people at home. Sorry, do, do you have a verse for that, Andrew? I'm just trying to find it now. Um, so for the people at home who might not have heard, there's a particular part in Revelation 3 that Andrew is saying, um, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Um, and I think he's, he's saying, can you clarify the particular yes, meaning of that? Yes, yes. Okay, let me just try and find it. Yeah, that's, 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 that's what I, I can plainly get in, in terms of uh, what, what the Holy Spirit is telling me. And I think that, it, it, I, I mean, like I said, I, I did write a book called uh, Regeneration and Sanctification. And, uh, well, I lost it on the computer because I took me 1,500 words, but I lost it. I did it on the computer, you know, that Reverend... Uh, it's to do with regeneration, which is also the same, or is superimposed on both. Well, regeneration is when Adamson, um, his spirit died, and Eve, of course, their spirits died. But when we believe in the second end of Jesus, our spirit rekindles. That's where regeneration happens. And then when that happens, there's also the, word, the, 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 the process of sanctification and the Holy Spirit comes within us, and we are able to live a life like Jesus, you know? I, I did write a book on that, but uh, I think, again, that the two English vernacular words speak for itself. So that, uh, you know, that sanctification is also you know, equal to any saint in, in church history since the time of uh, Jesus and his apostles here and the apostles here and there. And uh, I think it's, it's very important to, do, to, to, hi- to highlight that. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, thanks, Andrew. Um, uh, very, probably the best answer I can give without having looked at this particular part um, in a bit more detail. Uh, I guess the, the promise that Jesus is, or the, the facts that Jesus is standing at the door, knocking, uh, waiting for these people to, to dine with them is contrasted with their response of being lukewarm. So it's like, I guess it's a pretty vivid picture. Like if someone's standing at your door, knocking, like waiting to come in and dinner with you, waiting to enjoy you and you to enjoy them, the picture of them is that they're just sitting there, not even bothering to answer the door. Um, And I think that's what he's saying of this church. It's like, I'm here for you. Uh, I want to be with you. I want to uh, give you all these rewards, I guess, that we were talking about today. I want to give you access into the city, but they don't even care enough to respond. Um, so I think it's, it's speaking about the hard-heartedness of the church at Laodicea. Um, and I get, that does tie to your, your um, comment on regeneration as well. That's like kind of a whole other topic, but the, the ability for us to respond and to uh, act in a way, um, to act in the proper response to Jesus knocking is really an act of the spirit. We need to be regenerated. We need to be renewed um, to do that. Uh, so hopefully that's a that's a good short answer to your question without having looked too close at that passage.
Thanks, Andrew. Good question as always. Yep. Thanks, Andrew. Okay. Uh, if there's no other questions uh, here, we'll move on to the Padlet. And the first one is, um, thanks for the sermon. Uh, can you unpack what's, what doing righteousness yeah. in verse 11 might look like for us today? Yep. Um, I kind of hinted at it in the sermon and left it vague because I think it's the, the idea that they have of doing righteousness here or of being holy is a whole of life thing. So, you know, people that are holy in all practices of their life will continue to be holy. Um, so for you, maybe for some of us, some examples might be um, being generous to people, caring for people who are hurt, uh, loving our neighbour, loving to read God's word, um, speaking gently to other people, all those sorts of things. It's, like, it's almost like any example you can think of mm. that, that is basically an outworking of loving God and loving your neighbour, uh, of worshipping God, of keeping his word, that would be uh, doing righteousness. Uh, so I'm not sure on your particular situation, but say you're mm. at work, um, doing righteousness there might be um, loving the, your workmates that are maybe not as good at their job as you are, mm. or maybe um, uh, not doing things that are unethical, even laying your job on the line mm. to not do something that's unethical. Um, it might be saying hello to a particular person every morning. Mm. Uh, it might be not ignoring the homeless person sitting on the road as you walk towards work. Yep. Um, it, it's almost unlimited. That's what, it, was, it was hard to give examples because it's like every... The idea of doing righteousness is doing righteousness in every part of your life. And it's mm. overwhelming. And we can't quite do it that well. Mm. Uh, not yet. Um, but that's kind of the, the idea. We, we do it in so many parts of our lives. Our natural response to God's word then yep. is righteousness. Mm. So our response to, to the bride and the spirit calling us to come is actually we come out of, out of Babylon. So that would be this, the specific example there. And then that specific example kind of means a whole lot of stuff. Um, if, uh, if you want to message me or talk about maybe your particular situation, we can like um, brainstorm ideas that might express righteousness in your particular situation. Uh, but those are a few that might be for a worker. Mm. Okay. All right. No worries. Thanks for that, John. The second question is, what does it mean in verse 16 that Jesus is the root? Yeah. So uh, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent uh, my angel to give to you the testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Um, so I, I kind of jumped over that part, but the... I. The root and the offspring of David is a reference to a prophecy in Isaiah 11. Uh, it's the first few verses. I think it's like 1 to 10. That's talking about the coming of the Messiah, the one that everyone's been waiting for that will bring justice and all that sort of stuff. And he's described as both um, the, the root of David, so one who comes before David, mm. and the offspring of David, one who comes after David. So it was kind of like a mysterious phrase that people kind of, uh, I guess maybe they didn't quite know what to make of it at the time, but the, I think the root part comes in verse 1 and then the offspring comes in verse 10 and then all that he's meant to do is like in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's a reference that Jesus is the one fulfilling the kind of lineage of David, the promise given to David or the promise 
sorry, through David's line that there would be a Messiah. Um, and then combine that with the morning star, I think that gives you um, the idea that this David figure is meant to bring like newness. It's like the new creation, restoration, all that sort of stuff, a fresh day, basically. Mm. So it's actually a really nice part that I just skipped over. <laughs> okay. Uh, hopefully that answers the question, but if you want to know more, John would be more than happy to answer them. Uh, the Bible seems to be happy speaking of reward for the righteous. Why is it, do you think, that some, of, some Christians feel uncomfortable talking about rewards for the righteous? Mm. <laughs> um, Humbleness? <laughs> sorry? Uh, Humbleness? Maybe? Yeah, I, I guess like, this is speculation. I've got no proof on this. I think, I think we're scared of talking about rewards because it's kind of rewards tend to be connected with works Work, yes. and we're scared to talk about works, even though the old Testament kind of, uh, I won't go on that tangent. We're, we're scared to talk about works because we, we don't want to say our salvation is coming from something we did. Mm, yes. um, so I think that that connection, our, our fear of saying that we possibly work, which isn't excluded because the, the Bible tells us to make sure of our faith mm. and to, to endure. Like, but I guess you'd call those works in some sense. Mm. Um, but I think our fear of uh, uh, saying that we're not saved by grace, which is 100% true, we're saved mm. by grace. Um, our fear of that leads to a, a kind of cutting out of all these other things, which are true as well, because yeah, like, we're just not precise enough in being careful with that. We're kind of like... And so we lose the reward um, aspect of it, which is one of the, one of the like, most encouraging things about being Christian. Right? So we're not, as I, like I said in the sermon, we're not just slogging out a boring life to live a longer boring life. Mm. We're like, living under a God that gives us like, generously over and over again. And then when we get to heaven, he's going to give us even more generously than he's given to us now. Um, so I think... Uh, maybe we're just we're overly careful with some other parts of our theology and that's made us mm. like that now that's just speculation i can't prove that at all but that that would be the connection in my head um okay. yeah, I know, steve what do you reckon you were saying humbleness like we don't want to i want think we reward. just uh, i don't know some people might feel like it's 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 you know boasting if you you know trying to you know when you're trying to talk to people that doesn't understand what it is, mm. um, you know, to do with rewards for the righteousness and yeah. you don't want them to think that you're so, you know, up yourself and you think that you're right. going to be receiving all these uh, rewards right. later okay. yeah, on yeah. And, and they're not. Then, uh, so, yep. you, I don't know. <laughs> but in, the, in the wrong context, it can sound really wrong. Yeah. In the right context, it's very encouraging. I yeah, think. that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, next Question. We got three more, I think. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. One sentence to summarize the book of Revelation. Wait. You want to do that now or later? Uh, <laughs> uh, let me let me try and think of that in the back of my head. That's okay. a pretty hard question. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on, and we'll come back to that one as the last question. Can we choose to be angels instead of having a new form of body? Wow. <laughs> oh, that's a nice question. Can we choose to be angels instead of having a new form or body? Mm. Um. I think not. I think we're human now and we'll be human in the new creation. Um, but I think human is probably the best choice in the new creation because it's like God has, out of all the forms he could have taken, 
to come into our world. He didn't come as an angel with yep. spectacular powers mm -hmm. or you know, bright radiance. He came as a human. Mm -hmm. um, so there's something, just the fact that uh, Jesus would choose this form makes our form really uh, special yeah, already. Special. <laughs> um, I think in heaven, like, I, I don't know what the human form will look like, but I think it'll be pretty amazing. I think you'll be disappointed having uh, just a human body. I think it'll be pretty, yeah. it'll be pretty good. Without any blemishes. And, yeah, without any blemishes. Yeah, so and, why not? <laughs> yeah, and who knows like what we can do. Exactly. Um, but I think I think human will be like the best option in, <laughs> in, in creation. Maybe like you can ask God to be an angel for a while, like a, a thousand years or something. <laughs> see how it goes. You might do it. Uh, but yeah, yeah. At, at the end of the day, I think God will decide whether uh, you, <laughs> yeah. you can be an angel yeah. on your form. Yeah, I don't think you'll be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Of course. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, a lot of the Bible says Jesus is coming since 2,000 years, and now it's the millennium. Mm -hmm. There are hints that we're enjoying end times. Do you think he will come in this millennium? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So that's something I didn't deal with in the sermon. It says Jesus is coming soon, and this was written 2,000 years ago, and Jesus is not here yet. Um, so there's, I guess you've got to ask what the soon, soon is. So this is kind of like background to that question. Mm. Um, and there's different people answer it in different ways. So some people say, yeah, if you're a, a preterist when you read Revelation, so meaning like you think all this has happened already, you'll say, oh, like this was all fulfilled when like Rome was destroyed. Um, so soon has actually happened. Mm. Uh, there's some people probably a bit more cultish who would say, um, Jesus has actually come earlier in secret. So there's a few, I can't remember who, there's a few like weird cults that believe Jesus has actually already come and he's here right now. Uh, but that's almost the opposite of what the Bible says. It's like when Jesus comes, you're going to know it. You're know it, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess you could say uh, the end times are kind of symbolic as well. Uh, I, th I think the, the soon is best understood as... Um, if you, if you look at Daniel, at the end of Daniel, at the end of his vision, God says, seal up these words because it's not time yet. Mm. So in, in Daniel's time, there was more that had to happen. And I think, I guess it's probably referring to the coming of Jesus before those kind of words of prophecy are to be open to everyone. Now, post Jesus coming, the only next step is for him to return. There's nothing left to happen. So the coming is soon in that it's kind of next. Yeah. There's nothing left to wait for. So open up these words of prophecy. Tell everyone everything that's going to happen because it's coming next. It's coming soon. Uh, so more to the question, do you think he's going to come this millennium? Uh, it's, it's a thousand years. So we're just at the start of the millennium. So I reckon I'd be, I'd give it a shot and say yes. There's, there's a thousand years in the millennium still. Um, but keep, I guess saying yes, keeping in mind that it's just the next thing. There's nothing left to wait for. This is the one thing that we're waiting for. Bloody this God. is coming soon. Um, I hope so. I hope so. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to kind of die and then wait for a thousand years to kind of see it all actually happen. Mm. I would like to be dead before the tribulation. I think that would be nice. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. Soon. <laughs> Only time will tell. Yeah. Um, okay. We'll all go right. back to the last one. Yeah, one, one sentence to wrap up Revelation. Um, I think you'd have to say that 
Jesus is the King of Kings and he's coming soon. So probably, probably something like that. <laughs> Okay. okay, all right. I don't know. Yeah, have you got one, Sue? Oh, <laughs> um, mm, on top of my head, not really. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I probably can give it a shot. Um, I think in terms of revela- uh, summarize the revelation, is this basically the end of the book, at which it tells it's it's actually trying to give you a picture of what it will be like hmm. um, to look something to look forward to. So. Okay. Thanks, John, as well. Question askers as well. Yes, thank you everyone for your, all your questions. And as always, if you have further questions after this, uh, feel free to send them over to Reverend John and he'll be more than happy to attend to it later on.